Welcome to episode 15 of Define Normal. Today's episode features Willie Sinclair, my friend, fellow Midwesterner, and lead wardrobe stylist for the Emmy-nominated daytime talk show, The Wendy Williams Show. His work has been featured in a range of publications, including New York Times Magazine, W Magazine, Variety, and The Wrap. He was most recently profiled for Paper Magazine in the article entitled, The Stylist Who Got Wendy Wearing Telfar and Dapper Dan. Willie and I discuss his path to becoming a stylist, how the fashion world could use more inclusivity, what brands he's loving right now, and his plans for the future as a stylist. Enjoy the interview. Welcome to the show, Willie. Hello, thank you for having me. So glad to have you and to get into all of the fun stuff about your career and just who you are. So to kick it off, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Where are you from? I just told the audience what you do um, and where do you live? Yeah, um, originally I'm from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, born and raised. Um, So I'm a fellow Midwest transplant here in New York. I moved here about eight or nine years ago. And I currently live here in the city, and I love it. Prior to moving here, I went to the University of Wisconsin-Madison, majoring in textile and apparel design. So that's where I kind of got my first foot into fashion. And then uh, I moved to New York to attend FIT, and I received an associate degree in communication design. And while I was at FIT, I also interned at the Wendy Williams Show in the wardrobe department. So that is how I got my foot in the door. So I'm sure the audience has heard of a stylist. And as we talked about a little bit before we started recording, my first entree into styling was watching the Rachel Zoe project. So I'm sure they don't know everything about what your day to day looks like. So can you share a little bit about what it is like to be a stylist? What are your tasks? Like what goes on? Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned Rachel. She kind of really put styling, quote unquote, as a career on the map for a lot of people. And definitely post that reality show, there was a huge surge of just people wanting to kind of break into that. And it's funny because I always knew, like even when I was in college and undergrad, I knew that I did not want to be a fashion designer. I knew styling was always my thing. And this is maybe right before Rachel kind of popped off. It might have been right around that. And then once she popped off, I was like, okay, now everybody wants to be a stylist, you know. But I've kind of been in this, like, focused. And it was important for me to get my degree in fashion design because I wanted to be one of the people that actually knew what they were talking about and knew how a garment is constructed and knew what goes into making these pieces to then have a better understanding of how they will work on clients. Because a lot of people see things and they say, oh, this is at this price point and, you know, or, and this is at this price point and they may judge them differently. But if you know how to look at a garment and look at the fabrications and look at the construction and everything like that, some of those things you can see, oh, this is why this is actually a couture garment and a high, higher price point, And you can see why this is not, or you can see the lesser price point or, you know, brand or whatever and say, Hey, this is a really well-made garment, like for what it is. And you can make that work. But yeah, it's it, a lot goes into styling that people don't know. Uh, it's a lot of research. It's a lot of trial and error. It's a lot of just being kind of ahead of the curve, if you can, depending on what you're styling or who you're styling. 
and what the event may be or the photo shoot or whatever you're styling for because you have to understand there's so many different lanes there's editorial there's television there's costume designers there's movies there's commercials so everything you see on tv there is a stylist behind there the pharmaceutical commercials there's a stylist there and they're getting paid very cute coin so yeah so there's tons of different lanes so i think there's room for everyone and but it's hard to not be kind of caught up in the glitz and glamour of it because there is this kind of beautiful aspect of it like when you see the results that's what i really enjoy it's like when you see a project from start to finish and you see that end result and you see the person and they're feeling it and they're you know and the result is great there's nothing like that um but there is a lot of hard work that goes into it uh just in preparation and fittings and you know luckily i know how to sew i i mean at this point i don't really like to sew i can say that honestly <laughs> that's part of the reason why i didn't want to be a fashion designer but there's a lot it you know and with time you get better and you get more used to things i love that that's so much good background and context to how the styling world works so i have a ton of questions first i want to talk about your background. I think it's really cool that you started at a traditional school, being University of Wisconsin-Madison, and then taking your talents to FIT. Can you talk a little bit about um, how not going to a traditional four-year college and choosing to go to FIT and get your associates, what was that choice like? And how, like, how does that impact the industry? Is it necessary to go to four-year college? Is it okay to get your associates? You know this, uh, going to a Big Ten school, it's a very different experience than coming to FIT, uh, but it was really, really awesome because I was able to meet a ton of different people and really just get used to interacting with a variety of different uh, people from different walks of life. Like you meet people from all over the world, all over the United States that then come to the school with different hopes and dreams and stuff and you learn how to uh, interact with them. Like, it's the same as if you would in the workplace or in the real world. Like, these are people that I probably wouldn't normally probably interact with, but you learn how to, okay, this person I have to approach this way. This person I have to, I can be more comfortable or whatever have you around them. Um, and then moving to FIT, it was a kind of a culture shock for me just because it's kind of a college town, I would say. Um, it's very progressive. It's very awesome. I love Madison. And in FI, FIT, when I moved here, probably for the first year, I rarely took the subway. I was just on my little, my block where my dorm was, and the classes are all on that kind of, it's literally like a one block radius, basically. And I didn't really leave much except for work uh, and for my internship. But there, I was able to also meet a completely different type of people from all different places. You have people that were born and raised here in New York that want to go into fashion. You have people from all overseas, all over the United States, also that are just there for fashion. Everybody in the school is there for fashion in some way, shape, or form. So that was very different for me too, but it was awesome because I got to explore my style and it helped develop me in terms of what my personal brand was and my personal aesthetic. So that was definitely transformative. I don't think, to answer your question, I don't think it's a thousand percent necessary to go to college to become a stylist. I do think that having further knowledge definitely helps. 
like all the different classes I've taken, like between women's studies and, you know, LGBTQ rights and things like that. Like I have a deeper knowledge of more topics that I can then reference in my work than possibly someone who hasn't gone to school and things like that. But they also teach you definitely like there's just life lessons that you learn in school. Like I learned how to manage my money. I learned how to, you know, live on my own. There's just different things that a college experience will definitely help you with that not having that will. I feel the same. I think that college becomes a hot topic, especially as we watch the generation below us, Gen Z, get older. I think there's a lot of question about the money we spent on college and how it's helping us in our actual careers. But I feel the same way. Although I'm in a different field, the experiences I got at college, the people I met, the internships, just the space to explore and focus on yourself for a second and just what you want to do was really transformative to me. So I still see the value and I'm happy to hear that you did too. So switching gears a little bit, I loved hearing about your college experience, but I'd love to hear about your internship experience. So you said you also interned at Wendy. What was that like? It was great. I ended up coming to New York about a year prior to me moving here. A lot of people do that, you know, just to see what the city feels like and things like that. So I came here to visit and that's when I was like, okay, this is definitely for me. I can definitely see myself being here, but I know that the best way to go about breaking into the fashion industry is through an internship. So prior to that, I had interned um, for a specialty retailer, uh, Midwest specialty retailer Land's End, and I really enjoyed that and it was awesome. And they kind of had some connections here in New York at the time. They had an office here. So I knew a couple of people, but I knew that I wanted to work in television. So what I did was I had my resume and I made a cover letter and everything like that. And I sent it to a bunch of different television shows. I looked up the address. I was like, this will be a lot more impactful than just sending an email, you know? They'll be like, oh, you know, He's thinking outside of the box, you know, I don't know. So I applied to the Today Show, Good Morning America, live with Kelly and whoever at the time it was, Wendy, and I think one more show. So I sent out these letters to the wardrobe department heads, and I sent them my resume and said, hey, I'm a college student, I'm really looking for an internship, would love to, you know, you know, the usual. And maybe six months later, I didn't hear back from anybody, and I was just like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then one day I got an email from the then wardrobe assistant at Wendy saying, hey, we'd love to have you interview for an internship. And I was freaking out because they wanted me to do it in the summer. However, I couldn't because I lived in Wisconsin still. So I told them, hey, I would love to interview for this. However, I can't intern into the fall because that's when I start school out there and I'll be moving out there. I currently live in Wisconsin. I'm so sorry for any inconvenience. Very polite. And they totally understood. And they actually allowed me to interview for the position. And then they offered it and they said, hey, we'll postpone it until the fall when you move here and just let us know when you move here and we'll, we'll get you going. So I was so excited. I was moving to New York with an internship. And yeah, I moved there and I started. It ended up working out because actually the Wendy studio was actually around the block from where my old dorm was. So I literally had no commute and it all worked out. 
That's magic. That's like that New York serendipitous magic. It really is. So what's been the transition from intern to actually being on the team? So how long did you intern? And then now what is your current title at the show? It's been an awesome transition. It's been gradual. Obviously, things like that take a lot of time. I ended up interning for an entire year. I interned for a full semester, like full time. Then the second semester, uh, I had to take a little less of a chunk of time for internship because I was finishing up. Uh, so I did about half of the time I was normally doing the second semester. They invited me back, which they usually typically don't do for a lot of interns. It's usually one semester you're done, you're out, that's it. So they did that. And then when the summer came, I ended up uh, finishing up my FIT degree. And then I knew I had to get a job, job. Like I couldn't afford to live in the city. Um, I was no longer living in the dorms, so I had to get an apartment. So I knew that, and at the time, sorry, this is at, during the time when internships were unpaid. So now there's, I'm pretty sure there's a requirement where I think at least our interns at the show are paid now, but at that time there was nothing. And this was when all the Condé Nast stuff was going on and there was a big, there was a big shift. So anywho, I graduated, ended up getting an uh, accessories design job. Um, on 7th Avenue, and I did that for about three months post-graduation. And then I received a call saying that there was an opening for an assistant wardrobe stylist at the show. Uh, so I interviewed for that. And obviously they had remembered me from intern. The production team had remembered. They were like, hey, you should call that Willie boy up and see if he will be okay with taking the job. So I interviewed for that during that summer and two weeks later I had the job. So I quit my other job, ended up having to move out of my sublet apartment because it was a summer sublet. <laughs> I had a week to find an apartment, which thank God I did. And I don't know how I did. I mean, thank God for those, those cheap Bronx apartments back in the day. But yeah, and then I got that job and I was the assistant for five years. So I was in that role for five years. It was awesome. It definitely gave me my start and definitely got me more familiar with how the fashion industry, especially in television, functions. There's a lot of similarities between editorial and uh, television, but there's a lot of differences. And then three years ago, I was promoted to head wardrobe. So that's where that's my current position is lead stylist for The Wendy Williams Show from intern to the lead stylist of the show. So now that you are the head stylist of the show, how have your responsibilities changed? So obviously when you're an intern, it's quite different, but in your last role before you got promoted, what are the differences between the two roles? The differences are, I mean, <laughs> obviously I have more control over what she wears and more um, input. I think that the responsibilities are very similar there's more room for creativity, which I really enjoy. I really have tried to elevate things and have more fun. Unlike editorial, where it's just, you're preparing for this photo shoot or this content shoot or whatever, and there's kind of just a finite result. This is something different, especially in live television, where we're on five days a week. So that's five different opportunities to either do really well or 
some things might not be as successful and that's and that's okay because to me it's kind of like i know that everything won't work just given that she's not a model she's not sample size she's also of a particular age so there's a lot of different factors that i think people have to be aware of and that's something that i kind of have taken into consideration over the past three years like there's been a lot of transition for her and I have to kind of reflect that in how she dresses as well yeah I just try to keep that in mind for sure I didn't even think about that the different considerations when you're going into the clothes like what's Wendy's size she's pretty tall um, her age like all of those things so when you're sourcing a look you said earlier it's a lot of research so how, what's the process for getting looks for these five days of live shows? Basically what happens is we look at the trends, we look at the runways and see what's going on. And that is a small factor of it just to stay in the know as to what's going on, but it's not the end all be all. I definitely try to take things that she likes because at the end of the day, she is the client. So she has to like what she's wearing. And if she likes what she's wearing, then it's okay in my book. You know, we try to make it the best we can and try to marry our two tastes because we have very different tastes and what we like and what she, she likes. But in terms of research, we definitely try to stay in the loop as to new designers. I'm very clear about embracing young Black talent. I really believe that there is a lack of support in daytime television for those types of designers. It's important to incorporate them in the same way that you would some of the traditional designers that are just go-to at this point for a lot of uh, people on television. So I definitely try to look at what people are wearing. I'm definitely very aware. And in a way, social media has definitely helped with that. I definitely see things on people and I'm like, oh, who's this? And I'm able to click and see like, oh, I discovered X, Y, and Z designer. And it's interesting because the pandemic has actually helped in a way because I've gotten to know a lot of new designers and I've actually uh, kind of virtually befriended some of them in a way that I normally wouldn't have because a lot of, a lot of the fashion industry is kind of, I hate to say this, who you know. And I mean, I, I know you understand that. <laughs> 100%. Exactly. And I, I used to hate when people would say that when I was younger and they'd be like, oh, it's a lot about who you know, or it's all about who you know. And, you know, and I would just be like, oh, it doesn't matter. Talent and hard work will prevail and, and all this stuff will just magically happen. And hard work does pay off. Don't get me wrong. But it definitely does help a lot of the way with the connections that you make and the friends or people that you meet. So during the pandemic, like I've tried to be really good about putting out content and just tagging the, the designers that she wears or, you know, if there's something I really like, I'll repost and tag them. And that's definitely sparked up a lot of really good conversations and relationships where we've been able to collaborate with people. It's interesting how the pandemic has shifted how we all communicate because I feel the same way. People who I would have never had time to speak to or may not have had time to speak to me now because we're all in the house all the time, like they're a DM, they're a Zoom, they're a text away. 
And of course, fashion and I don't know, everything in New York is who you know, which I used to hate hearing too, because we're two Midwest transplants who don't, who didn't know anyone. So I'm like, what do you mean? It's who you know, <laughs> like, I don't know anyone. And now here we are um, saying the same thing. You talked a little bit about black designers that needed to be highlighted. I'm curious, like, who are those black designers in your eyes that deserve a little more of the spotlight? Who are your faves right now? My all-time favorite is Christopher John Rogers. I love him. I love everything that they're doing. The color, the fun, the feeling. Like, it's just, it's amazing, honestly. I feel like it definitely is a breath of fresh air. And I'm very excited because there's stuff happening. Things are coming. <laughs> Things are coming. So it's always a good, good feeling. And we're definitely a fan. So another designer that I'm really excited about is Sammy B. She makes really good dresses that are really flattering for all different body shapes, all different sizes. She's done work for Beyonce and just a number of different people. And she's really up and coming. Someone else that I'm very excited about is Hanifa. Their, their brand is just very effortless. And another thing, she's another designer that makes really flattering clothes for all different body shapes, all different body sizes. The colors are really vivid. And then the quality is really, really good. Like the knits are heavier. And those things, you don't think they're a big deal, but then when you get something that is actually of some substance and you can feel the quality in it, you it's hard to go back to less than. No, it hits different. Like when you get a garment in your hand that has like the weight and you're like, okay, this is different than what we've been, like you, it, the feel of it is just very appealing. In the same vein, like we talked about black like talent who you're really liking right now. How does it work? And do you think there are any disparities in the fashion industry as someone who is a black man pulling looks for a black woman? There's a huge disparity. And I think that over the span of the, the past eight, nine years that I've been firmly in the industry, I've definitely seen it change a little bit, but it's still not where it needs to be in terms of there being more equality in terms of Black stylists getting the same opportunities. And when I say opportunities, I mean bookings, I also mean that in the sense of the pieces that are able to be pulled, because there's a lot of access. There's a, there's a disconnect in terms of the level of access that stylists of color get versus their counterparts. It's not the same. And it's very clear. There's kind of, there's kind of these gatekeepers and they can really make or break and decide who gets what and what goes where. So if they feel that you as a stylist are not at a particular level or your client and or event are not worthy of their pieces, they won't loan them to you. So that can be enough for a number of different factors. They can say, hey, your client is okay, but this event is not even though them wearing X, Y, and Z designer at said event would be a huge moment and would get them so much publicity and you know help them out doing their jobs. Because it's a symbiotic relationship. You need 
each other. You know, if they don't feel it's worthy, then you kind of are left to your own devices in terms of sourcing items and getting things for your client. And then if you add another layer on top of that, if your client is not a size two, maybe maximum of four, though, there's a chance that those samples won't fit. So then you run into another set of issues. There is a huge way to go. I think it's gotten better. You know, in a few months, it'll be one year since everybody was posting black squares, especially within the fashion industry, the music industry, the entertainment industry. So it'll be interesting to see what changes have allegedly happened and see if they have played out. Because I won't say that everybody hasn't done the work, but most people haven't done the work. There's been a few, you know, and we can applaud those people that have implemented these diversity initiatives and things like that into their company. But I think you have to look further into said company and see, hey, are these, the percentages are good, but are all these positions entry level? What is the change in upper management? Is there any diversity there? Who are the people that are making the decisions? Are there, is there diversity there as well? And then are they then paying that diversity forward? Because quiet as it's kept, there is kind of this inner circle that sparingly pays it forward when they feel like it. So it's a very complex topic, but I do think strides are being made, but it's at a slow rate, I would say. I can see that. It's at a slow rate against most industries. For all the questions that you just brought up that make so much sense, like, are these positions entry level? It doesn't really help us if you're like, okay, here are the people of color or specifically black people. They're all junior this, coordinator that. Like, where are the directors? Where are the senior managers? Lately, I've been working with the 15% pledge and I've been kind of seeing some of those brands. And what has excited me lately is like Kith, not even only because they took the pledge, but like some of the stuff you're saying is stuff they're doing. Like they've hired black women, women of color at the top to make decisions. And they have, when these collections come out, they are giving proceeds to schools in Brooklyn. Like that is what we need to see. We need to see black women, black men at the top. We need to see paying it forward to the future black people who don't even know the careers you and I have are careers. Cause that's not their norm. Like when you tell people in Milwaukee and we got to get into this cause like I, when I tell people at home what I do, I, the reactions I've had are hilarious. When you tell people at home that you're a lead stylist for the Wendy Williams show, it's not even just about the flex. It's like people didn't know that was a thing. Exactly. How did you do that for Milwaukee, Wisconsin? So, you know, I love that. I love the conversation around how people could just do better. You and I can be diversity consultants. Oh, absolutely. I, that would be amazing. And it's, I think you brought up a good point with the Kith initiative. It's been really interesting to also see the level of product that they've been producing and the content and everything. Everything has really just stepped up by them listening to Black women. Like it's, the quality is just amazing and it's really resonating and it's, I'm sure they have to be seeing so much improvement in it. I mean, they should be proud of themselves. They should be proud. When you include us, you get a whole new audience. So going back to your example of Wendy in the show, when these designers lend clothes who usually wouldn't be getting exposure to her, her audience, that's a win for them. This, this is, these are new people. Like it doesn't help you to gatekeep who you think should see your clothes because I mean, these viewers, she has a very diverse viewership. The clips go viral. Like, I mean, 
they're everywhere. You can see them on Instagram. You can see them on Facebook. I mean, my grandma might be talking about something. You know what I mean? Like it's everywhere. So I think it would really serve them to get involved because whatever you see as an event, that's not right for you, which I mean, that can mean so many things. That is very coded language. Oh, extremely, extremely. That's like the use of urban. Like, so by that we mean, we mean black. Is that what we mean by urban? Okay, great. So that's, that is what's interesting. The coded language that people use to say no. So now I want to talk a little bit about style in general. I don't have a personal style. I haven't gotten there yet. I, I just like kind of know it when I see it. So what are your tips for people in their personal style? Like how do you define your own style and what are your tips for others to find theirs? How would I define my style? It's pretty it's pretty well thought out. However, it's very easygoing. I try not to define it too much because it's always ever evolving. It depends on the mood, it depends on how I'm feeling, it depends on what I'm doing. The only thing I would say in terms of someone finding their own personal style is kind of do what makes you feel comfortable, do what makes you feel happy. It's a way to express yourself. So if you want to be super extravagant and, you know, extra, then do that. If that goes with your personality or maybe it doesn't and maybe that's the juxtaposition that you want. I say that to say, just put thought into it. Like as long as there's a thought and there's a reason behind the reason you're doing what you're doing, then I say go with it. Because who am I to tell you about your personal style? Like, that's you. That's subjective. It's like the Devil Wears Prada where she's wearing the blue sweater. And there's this whole dialogue around, you think you just picked a blue sweater. And like <laughs> sometimes that's me. I'm like, I don't know what the trends are. I just picked it. I also want to go back to talking about Wendy not being sample size. As someone who's also not sample size, what are the tips and tricks you use for styling her? Like, do you pick things that are body conscious, like what kind of silhouettes do you lean toward? And like, how do you dress a woman who is not, well, actually, Wendy is standard size for women in America, but she's not sample size. So how do you dress for her body type? We do a number of different things. We are really big fans of obviously her classic staples, kind of like a bodycon dress, just like a tight, stretchy material. So we try to do that. I try to pick those styles that have interesting prints or colors and things like that. But in terms of not being able to historically, there are a few exceptions, but historically be able to pull from PR showrooms and things like that or directly from brands. Typically we purchase a lot. We buy a, quite a few of the things that she wears and that takes a lot of, that goes back to the research and the planning. So I'm constantly looking and trying to see what comes in her size and Truth be told, some things don't, like a lot, especially a lot of the higher end stuff, they just do not produce many, if any, that are in those sizes. So we definitely try to do our due diligence and find the pieces that we can and secure them. My assistant will tell you I'm very, very budget conscious. So we definitely try to find all the deals that we can. And if we can get things on sale or, you know, at a discount, we definitely try to do that where we can. And it's a lot of online shopping, you know, because of the pandemic now. Um, I do a little bit in-person shopping, but you really have to, and you shouldn't have to, but you have to do a lot more digging than you probably should. I see a number of different brands that show things on the runway with a curvier model who's not sample size, and they'll show that on the runway. However, 
it later down the line that dress or that you know thing won't get produced in that size or there won't be other dresses that will be produced in that size so to me that's another problem that kind of has to be addressed a little bit more like if you're going to show that and be all size inclusive which you should be just make sure you're producing that at in the long run because you have a whole base that would be interested in buying that and to me that's money left on the table it is and i think that's what makes a lot of people who aren't sample size not that into fashion like if i think about my own style i mean my friends are gonna hear this and laugh because they don't i think people don't think that i have bad style that's not what i'm saying but i think it's been hard to find a style because so many things until recently weren't really made in my size so like you know, back in our Midwest, like childhood days when Hollister was cool and like Abercrombie was cool. I couldn't walk into anybody's Abercrombie and buy any jeans or any like those polos would be tight as hell. I couldn't really wear that stuff. I wore a real polo. So that's the flex. <laughs> we wore we wore Ralph Lauren polo. Exactly. And if only the kids knew back then. If only they knew it wasn't a Hollister. I had the horse. You need the horse. <laughs> right. Like that's the flex now that I now I know that but it's it's really interesting how that's impacted my own style and so it's cool to see you putting Wendy in things that are body conscious and bright and just like really cool designers because I think I fell into that trap of I only wear dresses because pants kind of fit weird and like now there are all these um retailers and like you know some of it it's kind of hard because there's this whole thing about ethical shopping so it's like oh you shouldn't be shopping at like a pretty little thing or like an asos etc but i'm like they're the people who make the clothes in the sizes correct to your point if some of these big fashion houses made plus size clothing i mean is it plus size at this point because literally the standard size is like 16. correct yeah but you know if they did that we would be onto something because these women want luxury like i see it on instagram all the time like constantly yeah there's a huge market there and i just think i see it as a missed opportunity for them for sure it's 100 percent a missed opportunity so I want to talk a little bit about your future. You've been at Wendy for a while. You've been at New York or in New York for a while. What do you see for yourself as a stylist? Do you want to continue in television? Do you want to do some side projects? What are you thinking? I mean, I think about this a lot, but I definitely see myself in television. I definitely want to continue doing that. I want to venture into some scripted opportunities in television as well and movies as well more costume design because as much as I don't like to sew, there are some good opportunities and I've definitely been doing some stuff behind the scenes, learning more about that and getting more familiar with those types of things and making those connections that I need to kind of expand. But I definitely want to do a number of different things. In addition to that, I want to do more editorial things. I Not too often though, that's not a thousand percent my thing, but it is very fun to create concepts and have these fantasies and just see them come to life. There's so much fun in that. And I definitely want to dabble in that and have those opportunities. And then I guess in the future future, I would love to eventually become a fashion commentator or a fashion expert, whether that be with a column in a magazine or becoming an associate editor or an editor at large where I could kind of curate and select the projects and things that I want to work on and just have more control. Because for me, I'm learning that there's something so special about having the 
complete creative control over things and just kind of seeing your vision or working with people that trust you to execute your vision and fully believe in that. So I would love to be in a creative director role or something like that because just being able to create is really what I like to do. And I think, you know, that could be for a number of different things. Like I would love to work with a musical artist or actress or, you know, and talk, talk to them about where do you see your brand going and where, what is the goal, what is the vision and seeing how to execute that. Because I think beyond fashion, I have kind of just this knowledge of pop culture and overall style that I think is kind of an untapped thing for me. So I'm ready to pull that out. And I think you should. I think manifest all of the above. Um, I'm shortly going to ask you more about that. But I also want to say your Instagram stories are just like, they are exactly what you just said about that untapped potential because you post and honestly, like in some ways, that's what this podcast is about, right? Like, I want to talk about like the norms of my friends. It's your it's a norm in your life to be a stylist and be in this world. But it's also a norm to be a black man who is obsessed with culture like <laughs> you are posting like it's the music for me when they took your music feature away on insta stories i was stressed i was i was stated that was like the year from it was like almost a year and i was like what's happening it was so bad because the music is always like so good it's like you come back because i mean most people post all the time right maybe they post mm -hmm. daily you mm -hmm. might not be doing that, but you post pretty frequently. You'll pop yeah. up and like, it's kind of like a meme that's like waving, hello, I'm back, I have something to say. And then it's like a series of like all this fire, all this fire content of things you've been doing like the past week or so. You're like, yeah. by the way, I was styling Wendy in this fabulous outfit and then I was here and then here are my PR packages. <laughs> by the way, check out the new Mariah Carey song, it's fire. <laughs> like, it's just literally so good thank you <laughs> so i think that is an untapped market like yeah i'm ready for the mood board i definitely try to curate that um and i've definitely grown a lot with how i handle so social media i'm very uh I'm, I'm a very private person so for me i had to figure out how to use it as a tool for not only my career but also my personality like you really get to learn a little bit about me and what i like and you know, what I laugh at and what I respond to, what I listen to. Like, I, yeah, I really try to put a lot of cool music and stuff on there. And, you know, I have my special delivery series and stuff like that with the PR packages and, you know, stuff like that. I can honestly recite the strategy so it's working. <laughs> and I think that that's so important that you called that out about being private in person, but like still finding your way in social media. Because I struggle with that too of like, I don't like to share a lot. Like it may seem that way because, you know, I talk a lot and I have this outgoing personality, but I don't want y'all in my business. So <laughs> it is very interesting to see like what you share on social and how you've curated this this moment where I'm like, I feel like I know something about Willie, but walk you walk away, you don't really know anything. You know some songs, you know that he has fire taste, the rest is a mystery. There's nothing wrong with a little mystery. No, we love, know. we love. We love a mystery. We don't need to know all your business. We just know it's fabulous. For my last series of questions, I just want to get into like, we talked about what's in the future. I also want to know like, 
Do you think that you need to get that experience of being on the West Coast or is like styling good on the East Coast? It's kind of, I struggle with it too. Everyone who lives in New York thinks about moving to LA at some point. Sometimes I convince myself I need to, but I think that's just my mind. Like, where are you on the, on the California versus New York? I have mixed feelings due to my job. I'm here and I love it. And it's always been my heart. New York is like, that's been the goal for me. However, I can't say that there's not a tremendous amount of opportunity in LA because there is, there's so much work, especially in styling and the entertainment industry. There's just so many opportunities that I definitely do want to explore that in the future. I don't think I'll ever leave New York forever. That's not the goal. But I definitely think that if I was able to work on projects that would allow me to go out for a short period of time and then return, I'd be open to that for now. And then we can see what happens later down the line. So, you know, and it's, it's different because some things film very quickly and then other things don't. So obviously some movies are shot three, three to six months. So that's a longer period of time. And with my work schedule, I don't have that. But we do have breaks. So I definitely intend on taking advantage of that and exploring opportunities out there. And I love L.A. I mean, when we go out there for work, I always have a good time. It's always a moment. We always turn up. We always make sure we put our best foot forward. So it's a different climate. So you might be giving bi-coastal. There are no plans to pack our bags and move to the West Coast. But like if there's an opportunity to do something in the midst of a break or just get out there for a little bit, you're open. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Let's have a manifestation moment. So we talked about how you want to work in TV and maybe do some scripted. What is the dream show? If you could work on any show right now, what would it be? Oh, absolutely. I would work on any of the upcoming Issa Rae projects. If Issa is listening, please give me a ring. I know that you're working on a number of different projects, including the rap show in Miami. Would love to be a part of that. There's also, she just signed, I believe it was an eight-figure deal with Warner Media. So I know you have the budget, sis. So I'm definitely open to all of those different projects. But yeah, I love what she's doing. I love what she does. I love that she believes in her projects and kind of how she looks at it full scope. Like you look at the way she has radio now and all of these different kind of umbrellas under her own company. And I think that's just amazing. So that's what I would love to manifest. So 100% behind you on that because I want to meet Issa. So if you if Issa's listening and you're the wardrobe stylist, like I'd like to pull up. The music is, is like so fire on her shows. And I was just having this conversation with someone about it's like the total package for me because she like has these stories of black people just being black people. Correct. And there's a lack of that. Yes. Oftentimes it's like we have to watch a story where we're doing some kind of like weird trauma situation or it's like a period piece. It's a bit much. I'd like to skip that. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to see us like go to brunch with our friends and talk about our antics. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I need I need Daniel to write his pilot so we can get that off the ground, because I mean, we all I mean, you've. You've been there. We've, you've been at the brunches. You know what you know what it gives. And I need him to write that script so we can get picked up at HBO Max. Give us the budget. We can get the team together and figure it out. Because I think there is a lack of 
representation in that sense with just black people living. Like when we were growing up, we were able to see Moesha living single, Martin, all these different things, like whether they were comedy or comedy, dramedy type things and things like that. It was never to me as much as now where there's so many different traumatic experiences and things like that that are dominating kind of the media climate. Uh, Not to say that there's not Black people doing regular things in today's media. I just think the level of awareness is not there for those projects. They're not being greenlit on these major platforms and giving the push that they need to give. And they also, some in some instances, we're not involved behind the scenes in some of those instances. And that might be part of the reason why some of them are not taking off the way that networks or executives thinks they think they may have taken off. Totally. And like some of those projects are there. The ones that are becoming household names, in my opinion, are ones like I don't care to watch. You know, I was going to say no shade, but it's shady. I don't like Lena Waithe's projects. Like I respect her, but I don't like her projects. I just saw the new trailer for the show that was that's basically like a black person moves into a black family moves into what's like the Stepford neighborhood and they're traumatizing them. And I'm like in 2021. I do not want to watch that. I just simply don't. Is this what we need right now? It's not what we need. We're in the home. And some people are still very much living that exact moment still. And I just like want to laugh and I want to do normal things. And I want pe- I want people to understand what we do when we're together. Because I also think there's a giant gap there. Because I love like blackish. I think it's so funny. And I just have like always loved Tracy. But, like, the majority of us didn't grow up in, like, um, our dad works at a major advertising company and our mom's a doctor and, like, we're these kids who live in California and have money. Like, that's also, like, not really the, the norm. It's a little bit too upper of the middle class. Like, I wouldn't even consider it, to be fair, that's not even middle class. But I just don't think that that's necessarily the experience. Yeah, like you were saying, that a lot of us have experience. Like, my parents were teachers. We... We did the best we could, you know? It was giving very middle class, and that's okay. And I I just think that that representation would be so refreshing. Yeah, I'd love it. I mean, we would watch that show every week, so I guess we have to write it, and then you have to style for it. And don't worry, the pilot's coming soon. Um, I have one more question for you. I would love to know, what are the shows right now that are giving wardrobe that you admire? Like, what are you loving that you're seeing on TV? I don't think there's that many shows where the wardrobe kind of is also the star anymore. I think people are, they're very conscious about not for the outfits, not to upstage the character or whatever is going on. And that's a whole science in costume design as well. But I'm trying to think, who do I really, really enjoy? I love, uh, I love the costume design on uh, Blackish and uh, Grownish uh, a lot. And even mixed um, that's a that's a period, so it's it's interesting. But they have some really really good '80s stuff on there, and their costume designer is very very nice, very sweet. That's someone that I've met uh, virtually through the pandemic, so that's nice. I love that. That's a great connect. But other than that, um, costumes on Insecure are very good. I have my gripes with a few things, but I think the reason I have issues with some of them is because I know the real price of some of the things and I'm like something's not adding up 
aesthetically, it's beautiful. Great. Like, it's definitely aspirational. I love that they recycle bags like real people do. And there's those little things that really go a long way for me because that's what real people do. Someone's not going to every single episode have a new bag, a new handbag or something like that, especially if it's an expensive bag, if they're not in that price point. But yeah, those two kind of stick out to me right now. And I have like a hot take I'd love to share. So <laughs> the wardrobe on Emily in Paris. I, I <laughs> If the listeners could see your face right now, I, I have to hear your thoughts there. Because Emily in Paris, in general, the show... It, we had a cute moment. I don't know why I loved and hated it. I I feel like she was from the Midwest. That hit for me. I was fully invested. I watched the whole thing. I watched it all, like in a day. But the fits, though, the fits were giving no one in the, in the Midwest wears that. Did you get an expense budget to buy all these fire clothes before you made it to Paris? Because I was like, okay, all right, Emily. Did you hit water <laughs> tower before you before you made your way to Paris? I don't, maybe she struck oil or something like that, but I watched the whole thing. I was very perplexed. I was a little bit taken aback by some of the choices. And I think it would have made more sense to me if maybe her personality or the character of Emily was a little more quirky in a way. I think some of the things would have made sense. Like it didn't match to me, her personality. It just didn't make sense. And obviously Patricia Field is a legend in terms of costume design. She did Sex in the City and that's awesome. However, I think that if you and I both know, I kn I've known girls that have done the whole go abroad for an internship type thing and been from college or fresh out of college. I'm not sure unless your parents are really bankrolling or something like that, there's no way any of this would just... Materialize. You, you just wouldn't do that, Emily. I'm sorry, sis. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry, sis. See you for season two, but I'm sorry, sis. I mean, with the show itself, receiving a Golden Globe nomination and all that stuff, or was it an Emmy nomination? I believe it was Golden Globe, but I was very confused. I was too, because it was there was a show that I felt got snubbed um, I May Destroy You got a big, big snub, and I just, I'm sorry, I watched both shows, Emily in Paris, you know, that was my day, time, let's just flip through it, but like, I May Destroy You di did some things, like, visually. They made some points. Points are made. Yeah, I just, it's, it's almost as if like, and I hate to say this, and it's no shade to, well, actually it is shade, to the CW, I feel like Emily in Paris is kind of like one of those shows, like there's a certain aesthetic that... CW shows and stuff and the shows that they greenlight have and that's and that's not to say that they're horrible shows it's just at a certain level and I think that you don't see those shows getting the nominations like you would a show that is greenlit by HBO or Netflix or Showtime and stuff like that like there's just a different level well we we spilled a lot of tea here Oh, very much so. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to share with the audience before we jump? You can follow me on Instagram if you'd like. I'm at Willie underscore the third. And yeah, just be on the lookout for different things. We're, uh, we're working on a bunch of different projects that I can't entirely speak about. But over the next couple of months, we definitely have some very fun and exciting things outside of the show that 
will be happening. So I'm excited for that. Well, I can't wait to see what you're cooking up. And it was amazing to talk to you as always. Thank you for spending time with me. And as you always say, chat later. Chat later. Thank you for listening to another episode of Define Normal. If you like the episode or have any feedback for me, please leave a review on the Apple Podcast app. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram at Define Normal. See you next week.